Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. You know, not quite so good for some people. Um, this is Kim or Kimberly with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Yeah, I woke up to some real interesting news um, this morning. I'm not sure if you guys have had a chance to um, read any of these articles, but there was an attack on a Florida nightclub last night. And so they are saying that approximately 50 people are dead and approximately 53 other people injured. And they're calling this a domestic terrorist incident. You know, my heart goes out to those families because, um, you know, this was an LGBTQ nightclub down in Orlando. And um, it was Latin night. And so just this is just absolutely horrible. You know, so the news is coming in, and there was a report that his father stated that this was not about religion. It was about LGBTQ people because apparently his son saw two men kissing, and it made him angry, allegedly. So, you know, we're going to continue to watch this and keep an eye on it and and see what's happening here. And, you know, again, I can only stress to people that you need to be aware of your surroundings. You need to be aware of who's there, why they're there, and what is happening. But it seems as though this gentleman, well, I'm not even going to call him a gentleman, you know, this terrorist, you know, it seems as though He drove from Port St. Lucie to Orlando, which is approximately about 100 miles, to to carry this out. And there are some mixed reports out there that it was a couple of them. Who knows? You know, information is still coming in. But, you know, like I said, you know, keep these people in your thoughts. You know, keep them lifted up. And this is just horrible. And they identified him as Omar Mateen, M-A-T-E-E-N. And that's the identified shooter. And from my understanding, he's deceased now as well. So, you know, guys, like I said, just, just stay on top of this. Pay attention to this. And, you know, a number of other things. You know, last week I talked about um, Jasmine, the you know, one of the Black Lives Matter activists in California, and they were convicted of felony lynching. And they they were given 90 days as a sentence. And, you know, this is just, it's disheartening. But I know for the past couple of years, I've talked about, you know, some of the techniques that they're using out there to basically, you know, um, jail these protesters. And I know I talked about the protest psychosis, and I brought that up, 
you know, about how they started um, basically calling these protesters domestic, you know, terrorists. And that started happening around Occupy Wall Street. And, you know, it, it, it still continues today. And for them to, you know, charge and convict a person of color for terrorism is just, it's, it's, we're just, <laughs> I just can't believe it because it's like how many white people have been convicted of lynching and we all know you know that that has happened in this country so I don't want you all to get lost on what's happening out here you need to know what's going on but you just need to be aware of those things because I mean even with the book the protest psychosis it was talking about how they had started diagnosing some of these protesters as being schizophrenic when it used to be, you know, a diagnosis for white people or white women who were bored housewives, and that is how they identified it as not mine. And the fact that now, you know, that they started using it on protesters in the 60s and the 70s, you know, it's just important that you guys understand what's happening. And like I said, they're using domestic terrorism now to charge, you know, these young people that are out here that are activists and out in the street and really out here doing some hard work. So, guys, like I said, I need for you to pay attention to what's going on, understand what's happening, and like I said, I'll never be able to understand how they can convict black people of lynching just because they were out there protesting. And, guys, we need you to wake up. We need you to wake up and to pay attention to what's happening around you because this is serious, very serious. And um, lives are being lost. And you just need to know what's happening out here. So, you know, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because, you know, I have the television on. So you have the ticker going by and, you know, someone brought, this is David Brokaw. It's on MSNBC right now. But, yeah, I definitely wanted to talk about that and let you guys know what's happening and to tell you to keep abreast of, you know, what's happening with that if I see anything you know, I'll say I'll I'll say something else about it. But you have that going on. Um this week we lost, you know, um another one of these people that we care about. Well some of you may not have ever heard heard of him, but his name was Cedric J. Robinson and I remember recommending his book, Black Marxism, The Making of the Black Radical Tradition, right? And that was the guy, you know, his last name is Robinson, but I kept insisting that it was Johnson. I had that little two-minute loop going on, looking right at the name. And anyway, so he passed away this week, so I definitely wanted to um, acknowledge that, you know, because he, he has done some work. You know, he's put some real work in. And so, again, you know, condolences goes to his family friends and those that loved him and, you know, his fans, all of that. 
And, of course, you all know that Muhammad Ali had his memorial this weekend. And so, yet again, the condolences goes out to his family, his friends. And he had a lot of friends. I'm not sure if you all had the opportunity to watch that memorial service. Absolutely amazing. You had some of everybody there celebrating his life. And so I just thought that was really beautiful on how, you know, that worked out and how he influenced and helped a lot of people. So you got that happening. So good morning, you guys. (laughs) I wasn't on CP time today, so I woke up on time and, um, you know, I don't know what was in me or what got into me these last few weeks, but, you know, I've been having a harder time looking up early. So, you know, thanks for being patient with me. So, you know, that wasn't how I wanted to start, you know, the show this morning, but I just think it's important for you guys to, you know, pay attention to this because now they want to call, you know, Omar Mateen, a domestic terrorist, they called Jasmine a domestic terrorist, but they didn't call that white domestic terrorist assassin that mowed down all those people at the Charleston church, they would not call him a domestic terrorist. And I'm just bringing this back to your attention because Unfortunately, in this country, many people have a short attention span. And, you know, I like to go back and bring these types of things up because, you know, people forget about it, and that's happened across the board for a number of things. You know, they still have not brought back all of our girls. You know, what happened over there, um, you know, in, in Africa, with the young women that were, you know, kidnapped by allegedly Bogo Haram and, you know, being sold into slavery. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's horrible. There's so many things happening. And, you know, again, we have the short attention span because there's been so much. And I was talking to, you know, a good friend of mine last night, and we were talking about all of these things happening. And, you know, one of the things that she and I talked about was, have you all been hearing anything else about Flint? You know, how that came to fruition, and it was front page news, and then as the politicians went there to self-aggrandize themselves, then all of a sudden you didn't hear about Flint anymore. But yet the governor of that state, the governor of Michigan, Snyder, he's still walking around after poisoning an entire city. How does that work? And so, you know, you just go on from one to the other. I'm sure Casey Anthony, you know, was really happy you know, when George Zimmerman committed that atrocity and killed Trayvon Martin. And what I mean by that is that that pretty much bumped her news, her name and her news out of the forefront. 
And I haven't heard anyone else talking about her since then, really. And, you know, I haven't been looking for it either. So, you know, it could have been in my face and I just missed it. But I doubt it. I usually catch stuff like that. So, um, yeah, yeah, you know, pay attention to what's happening. And it's just, it's a shame. It really is. All of this that's, you know, going on and... Like I was telling you know, my friend last night, I was like, we have all of this happening, and it's just constantly being thrown at us, you know, situation after situation after situation. And it just gets to the point where, you know, we're all holding our breath, but none of us realize that we're not breathing until we get into a setting where we can, you know, decompress. And realize that, you know, we had been kind of held captive in our own way. Um, And, wow, like I said, it's just, it's amazing. And not in a good way. You know, it's amazing that we're still alive. It's amazing that, you know, while being inundated with all of these horrible news stories, that we can go on, but, you know, what I fear about that is with us constantly seeing all of these horrible stories and knowing about all of these things that we get desensitized, but we have to put the information out there. And so that's what I find interesting because, again, you know, for those of you who are familiar with me, you know, I used to post like crazy, just a lot of information And I still read all of that stuff. I just don't post it, you know, like I used to. But, you know, there are a bunch of things happening. And it was a few things that I felt that I should have posted, but I just didn't. And the reason why I started posting again, it was a couple of days ago, and I put up about four posts. Um, You know, my original reason for posting it is to keep people informed and to make sure that information is out there. And so for those of you, you know that I post things that I agree with and I post things that I don't agree with just because I think it's important for you to be able to read them both and and make an informed decision from there. And so what was so interesting about all of this, you know, when I was posting a lot of information about how We needed a new anti-lynching bill. But what's so interesting is, you know, what I wonder about that is that now that they're convicting, you know, black people of lynching, you know, how how else are they going to use those particular laws? And, you know, is it a double standard? So, I mean, I need to do some more research into that. And I didn't really get a chance to do as much research this week as I wanted to. But... Yeah, you know, I definitely want you all to keep Jasmine Richards, you know, keep them in mind and send them some well wishes. For those of you that are involved in these community, you know, activism groups or um, grassroots activism groups, you know, definitely I take my hat off to you guys because it's hard work. Not only is it hard work, it's a lot of work. And so, you know, I definitely wanted to put that out there and to let you guys know because, 
yeah, I'm going to be posting this stuff again. You know, what's so interesting. So you heard what I, you know, the statement that I read last Sunday when I said I wasn't going to be silent anymore. And it's not that somebody silenced me. It's just that sometimes, you know, you get a little discouraged or in some cases you get distracted. You know, I was a little distracted by my health. Yeah. So I took a couple of months off. And for the past several months, I haven't been putting a lot out there, which I'm pretty sure has um, <laughs> has made a few people happy because these are some of the same people who would, you know, every once in a while make a post or or will make a comment on a post that I make and say, why are you posting this? Why are you putting these things out here? And my response is people need to know what's happening. And then they would say, well, all you're doing is agitating and angering, you know, an already marginalized group. And my sentiment to that is this is information that they need to know, and they need to be angry. And, see, these are some of the same people that wanted to silence me and quiet me. They didn't want me putting information about Trayvon up. They didn't want me putting up information about Mike Brown. They didn't want me putting up information talking about the policing of black and brown bodies. And they sure as hell didn't want me putting up information about social justice, which is, you know, what I found quite interesting as well. And we're going to get to that I'm on my way. Just work with me, guys. And so, you know, the reason why they didn't want me posting it is because it makes them uncomfortable because then they have to answer questions that they didn't want to answer. They have to see things about, you know, people from, you know, certain groups and classes, and they didn't want to see that. They didn't want to hear it. Unfortunately, not only in, you know, just religious-based communities, but even in secular-based communities, they'd rather have you sit there and be silent and just accept the status quo and accept things as they are. But I'm not an accept things as they are kind of person. That is not me. And for those of you that know me in some capacity, good, bad, or indifferent, you know I am not that type of person. I'm not just going to sit there and just accept things as they are. And and it's it's just, it amazes me. And so, you know, you have some of these same people who have caused some type of discomfort. You know, they're inboxing other people. Why is she posting this? Make her stop. You know, she's a hater. She's a race baiter. I mean, I've been called all of those things. And, you know, I just find it amazing, you know, then you'll hear reverse racism, you know, and I'm like looking at this, and, you know, to me, if you're saying reverse racism, that means we're doing a good thing, because it was racist, and so we're reversing it, so now it should be non-racist. And so, I mean, guys, pay attention. Pay attention to why they want you to stop talking about certain things, why they don't want you to bring attention to certain things. It's because it makes them feel uncomfortable, and that is my job. At this point, I feel that it is my job to push each and every last one of you out of your comfort zone. It is my job to pique your interest and encourage you to go out and do some research 
that is what you need to do. You need to be informed, and you need to understand what's happening around you and why it's happening and who benefits from it short-term and long-term and who's involved in it. So, again, I'm just telling you that, you know, it's a lot going on and, you know, don't let, do not allow anyone to steal your voice. Do not allow anyone to control what you say and what you do. Now, I needed some time off, you know, and I won't even lie to you guys. You know, the surgery I had last year, you know, it was pretty serious. And so, you know, I'm finally kind of getting back on my feet because, you know, it takes a couple of months to kind of settle down. And so things are falling in place and, you know, working together with my collage of doctors, you know, we're getting me stable again. And so, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of shit, guys, you know, and it's like sometimes I just don't even know where to begin. And so, you know, I just sit here and I kind of riff with it and just look at it all because it has so much to say about so many different things, but we only have so much time. And I know some days it's like boom, 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 boom. Hope you wrote it down because, you know, I'm zooming through the material. And then other days it's like, yeah, we're just going to take our time and saunter through some of these um, points or talking points that I'm putting out there. Yeah, and I still see, you know, I still see. But, you know, today's show Basically, the title of the show is Start Your Own Civil Rights Movement and Stop Hijacking Ours. And, you know, again, start your own damn civil rights movement and stop, you know, trying to take ours. Stop hijacking what we have done, what we've achieved. And see, that's the thing that, you know, really gets to me, and I kind of touched base with it a little bit last week. And so I want to unpack it this week because... Basically, you have people out here that detest people of color. They detest poor people. But you want to use our victimhood to advance yourself, but you don't want to struggle. And see, and that's the whole thing. You know, you want your civil rights, excuse me, but you don't want the oppression because that oppression thing you know, that's that's kind of hard, and we don't like that. But but then you turn around, and, you know, whether you're being complicit through silence or if you're really vocal about your discontent with different people and different groups, at the end of the day, you want to use us as your mules and your stepping stools to get to the next level. And no. We're not going to allow that. If you have not addressed the racism, the sexism, xenophobia, and all of that other stuff, D, all of the above, and some, 
how in the hell are you going to start talking about your particular culture or your particular community? How are you going to say that, you know, that you're being discriminated against just as much, if not worse, than black people? How does this work? And so what's interesting about all of this, and yeah, guys, I'm going in kind of early today because this is something that has mystified me for years. And, you know, I've broken it down on this show before, but I'm just going to come on out and, and, you know, we're going to attack it point by point today because, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, everybody got a goddamn dream now, you know, and it's just, I'm like, what is happening? So, you know, and it's so interesting because, you know, I spoke to a friend and, you know, and they were talking about how, when they first came into certain communities, because this can be applied across the board. So, you know, if you're in the LGBTQ community, if you're in the feminist community, you're in a secular community, you're in the religious community, etc. I mean, this can be applied across the board, you know, and even in a black community, we can apply this. And, you know, it's a different, you know, is the context is the same, but the dynamic is a little changed up. And, you know, I've addressed it, and I'll address it again today. But, again, across the board, you know, it's the same thing. And so, you know, you got these people, and they're like, yeah, we're being discriminated against because we're LGBTQ or we're being discriminated against because we're atheists or we're being discriminated against because we're Muslim or we're Christian or, you know, what have you. And so, I mean, I understand, you know, the struggle is real. I get it, baby. I get it. But at the same time, with some of these different communities, and you all have heard me go in on the LGBTQ and the feminist community as well as the secular, the atheist community, because I just slice and dice the hell out of them. Why? Because I'm saying a lot of this shit up close and personal. And, I mean, you know, I'm a member of the LGBTQ community, and I see that shit too, you know, and it's amazing, you know, and as far as feminism is concerned, eh, you know, I, you know, some people call me a feminist, I'm not quite sure if that is accurate, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm looking at all of these communities and, you know, everybody wants to claim some type of victimhood. And what's so interesting is, you know, Raina and I, you know, when we talk about these issues, especially on this show, you know, we slice and dice them. So that does not make us very popular, if you will. But, you know, I think all of you all know by now that we don't care about that popularity thing. You know, we're not anybody's leaders. You know, I do not consider myself a leader. I am not a Pied Piper. So, you know, go and follow whoever you want to follow. But personally, I, I will tell you that you should not be following anyone but yourself. Because at the end of the day, you're going to be the only person that really matters because a lot of these people are not going to be there when you need them. When you need that support and motivation and encouragement, hmm, okay, let's see how that works. 
it may be all right for the first week or two or the first couple of months, and then everybody disappears. And, again, it's just as important. So, you know, you know, conversations like this have been happening over the years when we talk about, you know, people co-opting, you know, the civil rights movement. And so when I talk about it, I'm talking about it from a couple of different perspectives, especially since I'm a member of a lot of these groups. So, you know, it, it is conflicting sometimes, and sometimes it's really hard to talk about it because when they struck down Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, while they, you know, um, validated and made marriage equality equality law, it was kind of bittersweet. And I remember talking about how black LGBTQ people were standing at the crossroads, you know, right there at intersectionality row, right? And how on one hand we're happy for the people that wanted marriage equality because there are many members of our community that want that. But then we were sad because Section 5 had been just shut down. And immediately the day after, the same day in many cases, you had places like North Carolina, Texas, so on and so forth. They had already had the legal briefs typed up. All they had to do was go and, you know, um, submit it. And they can do that from their office because you can do all of that electronically. And so I'm looking. And it's just, it was bittersweet. And what's so interesting, you know, because I'm going to go in on every community, so I'm coming down your row. And if I don't get to you today, trust me, I'm going to get to you next week. So if there has to be a part two, damn it, there will be. And so, you know, let's go on down the row here, you know, because it's like it's so much shit happening. I want to start with the LGBTQ community. Because, you know, I'm always slicing and dicing them. And one of the reasons why is because, you know, history has been whitewashed or revised. So when you hear us talking about revisioned history and how it's been whitewashed and certain people have been factored out, right? Hold on a second. So, yeah, sorry about that. And so many people have been factored out of this history. You know, this is where some of the bitterness, the anger, and the resentment comes in. Because, again, you go back to Stonewall, and those were trans women of color that fought back. And so when that movement began, you know, I was at its grassroots stage. Basically, what they did is they took that movement and they whitewashed it. And what I mean by that was that for them to be able to introduce this particular group of people to America, mainstream America, which is basically white America, basically they had to whitewash it. And so that's when you started seeing these, you know, white male you know, activists, you know, with ACT UP and all of those different groups. And especially when, you know, when we were dealing with the HIV AIDS pandemic, 
because it's still a pandemic now. You know, it's still happening now. It's just that the audience has changed. The most affected, most impacted groups have changed. And we'll get to that, too, because, I mean, that has a lot to do with race. And you get these groups, and so now you get these white men out there, you know, struggling and protesting and being radical about what they were doing and why there was a need for HIV, AIDS, you know, education and funding and research. And that is what they put in front of the American public. And so some changes were made, and, you know, they started getting some of the money, and they started the research, but they left the women out. And so white women were the face of it because, again, even with the ACT UP and all of that, there are a lot of black and brown people out there with them, just that y'all didn't see them. And so, you know, I'm sitting here because it's the same, same bullshit over and over. So you got these white guys. And you have all of this shit going on, but they're not addressing the racism within their own ranks, you know, when they had the Proposition 8 in California. I'm just kind of putting it all together and mixing it up, you guys. But when you had the Proposition 8, they scapegoated the black community. Why? Because it was the easiest community to scapegoat, and they're the most vulnerable one. But they didn't go after Scientology. They didn't go after the Mormons. And you need to ask yourself why, when you see Scientologists and Mormons, do they look like me? They sure as hell don't look like my cousin, Jose. So, you need to think about it, and we've broken that down here. When you go and you look at the population, you know, in the breakdown of California, black people registered voting black people is a single digit. Even if it's 9%, which is really about 8, but God, I'd be nice and generous and give you one more. That's not enough to make a difference. So, you know, they had to scapegoat some group because they were mad. And then, you know, then they want to come out and say that the black community is homophobic. And the black community is no more homophobic than any other damn community. Because truth of the matter is, is that a lot of these black communities, these black pastors, they take their talking points and cues from these white Southern Baptists. And if you go back and you read up on the history of these white Southern Baptists, all of that shit has been baptized and anointed in racism then and now. And what's so interesting is um, I shared an article in inboxes. That's how I share my articles now, which, you know, I feel that's a little selfish, but I'm going to start putting it out there. But, you know, the Southern Baptists, you know, they're losing members. They've lost well over 100,000-plus people, and it's growing. And, you know, there are reasons for that. So, again, I want you to go out and you do the research because, you know, I'm not really going to go into that particular factor um, because there are a lot of different factors in these particular equations. But go and look it up. But, um, yeah, so, you know, you got the LGBTQ community running around and, again, the face of it, white males. And, again, you know, marriage... When we talk about marriage and civil unions, what a lot of people fail to understand is that 
It's about contracts. That is what it is. It's a contract so that your significant other will have the right to make decisions for you, life or death, business decisions for you, and you're able to leave these things to your significant other and you're able to share. And I mean, it's just a number of different things that go into that. And, you know, you have your tax incentives, which I still think is unfair that married couples have incentives that single people do not have the option of using. And if you're single without a kid like myself, then you're like fucked. Because I remember at one time was a situation going on in my life, and I didn't have health insurance, and that's when I got the sickest. And there was really no help out there for somebody that's single with no children. There were some resources, but, you know, it took hours for me to find that information, just a lot of research. But, you know, again, within the LGBTQ community, you know, some of the little dirty secrets is the racism. And I'll give you another example of that. Here in Chicago, there is an LGBTQ community center called the Center on Halstead. And they do fantastic work. I have to give them credit. They keep those young people engaged. They keep the older LGBTQ community engaged. And that's something that needs to be talked about as well. You know, because when some of these people get older, you know, where are they going? So now you're seeing LGBTQ senior housing popping up, you know, in different parts of the country. So while I'm cutting it down, I'm informing you and letting you guys know, pay attention, go out, do some research. You know, um, the author from The Golden Girls, she left a lot of money for LGBTQ um, teens because the majority of the homeless teenagers we have are LGBTQ young people who have been kicked out of their homes for one reason or another, and we need to bring attention to that as well. And so you got all of this happening, and so you have the racism, and it's kind of undercover, because here in Chicago, in Boys Town, which is where the um, center on Halstead is situated, you know, they would have a lot of youth of color coming from the west and south sides, particularly the south side, to go over to that neighborhood, you know, the people that run the center on Halstead, when they get to work 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, there are some kids out there sleeping in a doorway because they had nowhere else to go, and they spend their whole day there. And, um, you know, those are things that need to be talked about. They have some wonderful programs. You know, they have this culinary program. So anyway, again, you know, so the people in Boys Town, they, you know, let's just say they were uncomfortable because a lot of youth of color were coming through their neighborhood to get to the center and also to go over there and have a good time, you know, like everybody else, like they have the right to do. But apparently it made some of the well-to-do people a little uncomfortable because right next to Boys Town, you have Lakeview. And that is a very affluent white um, middle, upper, upper class, you know, environment. And so, you know, it's just, it's a lot going on. And, you know, it really angers me and it upsets me when, you know, you have all of this going on within your own community, the racism, and there's a lot of sexism in the LGBTQ community too. That's not being addressed. 
there's a lot of transphobia. Now, that's what gets me. The gay rights movement, as we know right now, was started by trans people of color. And then you have the nerve. And so it's, you know, you have the nerve to look down on them. And so now what's happening, now we're having the trans people, you know, having, you know, their spotlight and spotlighting, you know, what's happening with them. Now, if you're a trans person of color, this is a dark and, you know, very perilous times because they are being killed in record numbers and it's not being reported. It's not being talked about. This is something that we need to be talking about. But, you know, again, you have transphobia even within the LGBT community. Hell, you got homophobia in the LGBT community. You know, they're like, well, I'm gay too, and I don't act like that. And it's just, you know, you just hear all kinds of stupid shit. And, you know, again, it's about shutting down somebody's ability to have agency over themselves, for them to be out here and to be their authentic selves. You know, and even if they remake their authentic selves every year, they have a right to do that. And so, you know, these are the same issues that are not being addressed. And so, you know, when marriage equality was finally recognized and passed, you know, when you would see the news conferences, you know, it'd be 80%, 80%, you know, white people, and then, you know, 20% of people of color and, you know, the people we can't quite figure out, you know, where they fall on that rainbow there. And so, um, yeah, y'all, you know, and you want to bring up and talk about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King, and you want to say that these people were your heroes. But yet some of you with the same mouth will turn around and talk about people of color and how you don't understand why we have to have our own communities. You don't understand why we refuse to assimilate in in most cases, you know, with your particular community. And see, what you all don't seem to understand is we would have no problem working with you guys and being a part of whatever you're trying to do, but you're not trying to work with us. You're not trying to talk about things that are of interest to us. You know, sometimes our reality is a totally different reality, and this is why you hear people talking about there being two different Americas. You know, and so and this is why it's hard to have this conversation because whether you're talking to a wealthy working class or a poor white person, many of them do not understand this social construct of race. And so they look at it as a class issue when there's a lot more to it than that. But they're looking at it from their eyes. And so when we start talking about how you're missing this, you're missing that, and, you know, some of them want to blow us off. And then when we tell them that that's their white privilege talking, then, you know, then we got to, you know, deal with a defensive type of attitude. And then they say this is why they resent us or they – and so it's just – it's crazy. So you want to invoke the names of – 
you know, people like Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, you know, Malcolm X, and all of these people. And what's so interesting is, you know, you got people like Harvey Milk and just a number of, you know, why don't you talk about them? You know, you want to use our struggle and you want to use our victimhood, but not the struggle because you don't want that shit. That's why you're out here protesting because, you, you know, you just want your regular white guy status back. And, you know, it's, I'm, you know, it's disheartening and it's disturbing. And I know there are a lot of different civil rights. Yes, I understand that. Hey, go for it. Fight for yours. You have the right to do that. But what I feel is you do not have the right to use Martin Luther King's name. And you do not have the right to use Ella Baker or Fannie Lou Hamer. And the reason why I say that is because I have not seen you being bit by dogs. I have not seen you get, you know, a spontaneous shower through a damn fire hose. None of that. And so, you know, saying that, you know, you have people out here trying to say that we are in a colorblind, post-racial, you know, society after the election of Barack Obama. I call bullshit. And I have even before he was elected. You know, and I mean, this is even within, you know, the black community and the community at large, black, white, red, yellow, whatever. And, you know, I'll give you an example. Seattle, Washington, the state of Washington, Seattle, which is supposed to be a very liberal, progressive city. Now, I've been to Seattle for, you know, a couple of times because, you know, for those of you that know me a little bit, I've worked for Microsoft, right? And, um, yeah, you know, it's supposed to be a progressive, <laughs> liberal city. Well, you know, again, I want you guys to fact check me. There was this couple, this black couple, you know, and when I say couple, I'm just talking about a couple of people, a male and a female, sitting at a Starbucks enjoying, you know, whatever beverage that they may have been ingesting, right? And this white man, a white man in Seattle, looked at them and turned and looked at the black woman and called her a fucking nigger bitch. And then he spit on them. And white people, you know, whether they were customers or the employees there, they said nothing. They acted as though it never happened. They didn't hear it. They didn't see it. They don't know shit about it. And so, you know, with this particular couple, you know, I can kind of understand, you know, um, some of the mental gymnastics they went through. And while I don't agree with respectability politics, I understand why some people, you know, jump through those hoops. Because, you know, when I saw, you know, the interview with those people, they were saying, you know, we were dressed appropriately, you know, they were dressed professionally. And you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they were dressed in a two-piece, three-piece suit, a tux. It doesn't matter if their pants were hanging off of their knees. It does not fucking matter. And so, you know, I'm saying all of that to say this. You sat there, and you said nothing. And that's not just the only situation. And, you know, this is happening in all of these communities. 
and you're allowing people to get away with this, your silence is your being complicit. And so, you know, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, and, and, and you want to say that you identify with us? Really? How the hell does that work? You know, because I'm pretty sure if I spit on you, we're going to throw some hands. I can guarantee you if you do that to me, we're going to throw some hands. And I'm just, I'm outdone. I'm, you know, just outdone by it all. And so even now, when you go and you look up the information about the LGBTQ community and about monies that are being distributed for education, you know, you have some of these larger organizations getting tens, hundreds of millions of dollars over, you know, a certain time span to go out and educate communities of color. Yet in these same communities, you know, the, the HIV and AIDS rates are through the rough. And for those of you that are out there, National HIV Testing Day, go to greaterthanaids.org, again, greaterthanaids.org, and look the information up. Volunteer help out is not just one day a year. These organizations are out there all the time. But then you have some of these organizations that get the money, and we have yet to see their asses anywhere. I ain't seen none dental dam. I ain't seen no condoms. I ain't seen no pamphlets, not a damn thing. And I live in hood. And I live here because I want to live here. And so I'm looking at it, what's happening to the money. And a lot of black organizations have been shut out of the funding. You all need to ask why. And then you have some churches that go through this program once a week. I mean, I'm sorry, once a month out of the year. Well, actually, I take that back. It's one week out of a month. See, I was on the right trail. I just had to kind of tie them together. But one week out of a month every year, and, you know, they claim that they'll, you know, put information out about HIV and AIDS. But the only reason why many of them are doing it, that is because they get a grant. They get funding. But then for the rest of the year, many of them have nothing to say. And it is their congregations that are most affected, you know, these black and brown people. And so, again, yeah, I want you to be fucking outraged. You know, I don't want you, you know, talking about, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer or any of them when, you know, you haven't even addressed any of the issues, you know, pertaining to the people of color, even within your community. You know, with all of these different communities, you know, they all say, oh, well, that's not what we're trying to address. You want to call it mission drift. I call it bullshit. And I'm looking at the people of color in these different communities, and I'm like, the fuck is on your mind? They've shown you. They've told you, and they've shown you that they don't care about what the hell is going on. And when I say that, it's not a blanket statement against everybody, you know. And I shouldn't have to say that, but I'll go on ahead because I'm not trying to get these damn emails, you know, or, or inboxes saying, "Well, not we're all not like that." I know that, you know. And I'm just trying to make a point because, you know, white allies. You all need to start checking that. And I put out, um, you know, a link this week, and it was a curriculum specifically for white people. 
Ferguson to Charleston. And that was put out last year, but, you know, I like to bring it back up every once in a while. And so, you know, hopefully, if you know, if you haven't found it, you can find it on the Black Freethinkers public page, the People of Color Beyond Faith public page. My Facebook page is open. So, you know, for some people that, you know, I may have unfriended or, you know, again, all of my inf- information is public. You know, I don't put information out there, just friends only. I can inbox the people that I want that type of information to go to. And so you can find it on all our social media because, you know, I post it everywhere, Tumblr, Twitter, Reddit, Dig, StumbleUpon, you know, Pinterest, you know, it's all there. You just have to go out and find black freethinkers. You can find that everywhere. Look up the hashtag. But, um, yeah, so, you know, I'm getting ready to move on to another group because it's time for me to go down another row. And so, but don't think that's it because, you know, I randomly pepper shit as I remember it. And so, yeah, let's talk about the feminist community. You know, and you want to talk about Fannie Lou Hamer. And, you know, other black feminists, you know, Florence Kennedy, you know, Bell Hooks, Kimberly Crenshaw, and, you know, we can name a bunch of people just going down the line. And what's so interesting is a lot of the white feminists do not want to read material by black feminists. They don't want to do it, but they want us to read theirs. But one thing that I can say is that some of these white feminists do well they come and steal our talking points. You're very good at that. And for those that aren't familiar, you know, there was some Twitter and Tumblr wars going on where a lot of the white feminists were following, you know, some black feminists and womanists and taking the information and using it as their own. And, you know, you saw what happened last year with Rachel Dolezal. Trust me, that is not the only time that has happened, and it will continue to happen. You know, you got white women out here, you know, doing performative art as black women, which is amazing in and of itself. And when I say amazing, I'm not talking about it in a good way. And so you have these white feminists out here, and, of course, they want black and brown, yellow and red, you know, feminists, you know, male and female, because we do have male feminists out here. And they want us to be with them and march with them and champion their causes and feel and understand and, and shout to the world about their victimhood. But you want us to do it from a plantation? Really? You schedule a conference at a fucking plantation and then act like you're confused because it's not enough black and brown people registering to come to that shit. And then when you get called out about it, you get angry. And there's a lot of racism within the feminist community. And it's just interesting. I see you, 267. Give me a minute, honey. And, um, you know, you know, you have this happening. And it's amazing. Let me go ahead and pull 267 in. Hello? Hello? Hi. May I ask who's calling? This is my first time calling in. Um, my question is, what, what's your definition of feminism? Well, <clears throat> excuse me, to be honest with you, 
In regards. I. I'm sorry. What did you say? I said in regards to black women. Like, what's your definition of feminism? My definition of feminism in regards to black women is uplifting black women, encouraging black women, motivating them and letting them know that, you know, they can attain these goals and that, again, with the patriarchy, you do not have to subjugate yourselves to that patriarchy. You are just as worthy. We want to see you succeed. As, as any other person can succeed. You know, right now, black women are the most educated group in this country. But, you know, my whole thing is, is that, you know, I don't have a specific definition. With me, it's more so about, you know, letting black women have agency over their bodies, encouraging black women to overcome patriarchy, you know, um, allowing and telling black women that, you know, if you don't want children, you don't have to have children. If you don't want to get married, you don't have to do that. If you want a career, you can have that. You can do these things. It's about uplifting them and encouraging them to take back their agency and, and, and claim who they are and be their authentic selves. That is what feminism is to me. You get to define yourself. And other women, we are here to encourage them. Hmm? And that's all good, but we say overcome the overcome the patriarchy. I'm sorry, you said patriarchy. I can't pronounce the word. It's okay, Um, patriarchy. When you say overcome that, like, what do you mean by that? Because I, 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 you know, I'm kind of against the feminism, but I don't know this, this real definition because everybody has a different interpretation for it. You know, right. I don't want to sound ignorant, okay. but I'm all about uplifting any system. Do what you need to do. Do what you want to do. All for that. Right. But mm-hmm. I kind of like from hearing other women talk about it, it's like they have issues with men, and I feel like for us to, to come together as a people, we got to stand by our men, our men got to stand by us. And, and, you know, and I get that, and I'm right there with you. And, you know, I'm not a man hater. I'm not, you know, saying that men should have less rights. That's not what I'm saying. But when I talk about patriarchy, and just to kind of put this in context, you know, what I'm talking about is, especially in America, within a lot of our, you know, communities, you know, um, a lot of women believe that men are the head of the household. This is how they've been taught. This is how many of them have been trained and that they're supposed to defer to the men. They're supposed to subjugate themselves to the men. And, you know, and, and that it's their job to help men reach their goals. And you'll have some of these same men, you know, promising, you know, we'll, we'll help you with yours. We'll address your issues at a later date. And that never happens. And so, you know, again, yeah, it's important for us to recognize black men and black boys and what they're dealing with. But then they also need to recognize what we're dealing with because now black girls and women are being incarcerated at the same rate, if not more, than black men and black boys. You know, they're being suspended from school, and a lot of these issues are not being addressed. And so basically when I'm talking about patriarchy and I say overcome it and have agency over yourselves, I'm basically telling, you know, women that 
in order for you to be successful, it doesn't have to be through your husband's or your mate or what have you. Success, you can have your own, but do not you do not have to believe that you're any less than any man that you're standing next to, whether you're married or, you know, in a relationship or, you know, or a relative of, you can be your own person. And I believe and I feel that men should recognize women in their agency, and they should be encouraging these women to be all that they can be and to go out and and to be themselves. Because, you know, that's one of the issues that I see coming up and, you know, when I see some of the conflicts and we start talking about the patriarchy because, again, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we should all be on the same footing. And it is to our detriment that we've put a lot of our goals and a lot of our ambitions and, you know, our talents and our dreams to the, to the back burner while supporting black men. And in many cases, they do not turn around and support us. So when I talk about feminism and womanism, it's about uplifting other women, encouraging them, supporting them in their endeavor. That's where I'm coming from with that. Okay. Okay. I mean, I mean, no, I mean, I'm right here. You sound a little exasperated. Come on, talk to me. Yeah, like I, I understand what you're saying, but um, I'm not disagreeing. But you know, I think mm-hmm. the man, as a woman, and if you have a family, the man is supposed to be the head of the household. Meaning, his job is to go out, work, and pay the bills. You understand? I think that's his role as a man. Now, that don't mean that the woman got to stop and not do what she needs to do, but her priority should be with her, taking care of her family. And if he's going out and paying the bills, she can still pursue her dreams. And if he's not, if he don't support that, I disagree with that as well. But I think, you know, I think it's so many women now are like, I don't need a man, I don't need a man. And they have children and all it, 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 it's an effect. It's an effect of that because a lot of our black brothers they go through so much, and now and I get what you're saying, your definition of it, and like I said before, I heard so many different definitions of it. Now you have women out here, sisters out here. I don't need a man if you don't got this, you don't got that. I don't need them and want to do everything themselves. But the family structure is being broken down. You understand what I'm saying? Like I watch my dad, my dad, my my, my parents, my dad always worked, went out, and he was the head of the house that my mom, she did, she worked, you understand what I'm saying, but it was, mm-hmm. she took care of the household, you know what I mean, he never denied her to not work, he had a business, and she was the secretary, and that's how I was raised, and I, I just kind of feel like when we start saying, forget our brothers, we can't, you know, we're going to take charge. I don't think that's a good thing because it breaks up the family structure. And then now we are single women raising our children, especially boys. So I'm not totally disagreeing. I'm just trying to figure it out. Right. Exactly. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and, um, you know, I would tell you to – you know, do some reading and go out there, you know, get into a little bit of bell hooks. Um, you have Toni Morrison, Alice Walker out there, Patricia Collins, you know, and a number of other women, Kimberly Crenshaw. And you can do some reading on that. But 
you know, I understand where you're coming from. And traditionally, that is how many people see the family and the family structure. And when you've been taught that men are the head of the household and, you know, your role there is to support him and to raise the children and to, you know, make a happy home, if you will. And, you know, there are a lot of people that believe that, and I don't begrudge you that, you know. And if that's what works for you and you're comfortable there, fine. You know, I'm I'm sitting here and I'm going to lift you up because that works for you. But in in some cases with other women, you know, I mean, let's let's just be honest. You know, some some I'm totally against, but also I'm totally against a man that's running a household and not respecting his women. I'm against that and not mm-hmm. allowing her to do what she needs to do. I'm totally against that. Right. You know, right. If he's playing his part, he don't want you to do nothing but be like a slave per se, then don't be with him. I, I totally disagree with that. Okay. And, yeah, I get you. And what I'm saying is is that some of this is, you know, traditional um with some families, but, you know, again, there are times when, you know, that particular patriarchal figure, the husband or, you know, the head of the house, if you will, you know, when they're not around and, you know, whether they walked away, whether they died or whether they were there and whatever the circumstances, however it ended up, you know, with a lot of women, we've seen some of these women that have supported their husbands, mates through everything. And right. we've seen cases where the man just walks away and takes everything and leaves her there devastated. And the only right. thing she knew how to do, take care of the family. She didn't take care of the household finances because he took care of that. She didn't know about any of the assets or anything. And so, I mean, you know, especially with women coming out of situations like that, that's how some women start finding their agency. But when they've put their dreams on hold, I mean, I've seen women who have gone through law school, medical school, a number of different things, and they didn't practice for whatever reason. You know, if they did practice, they only did for a short time. And then if the man died or walked away or what have you, now they're devastated because now they have to, you know, assume that role. But the thing is, is that, you know, for those that are in those types of situations or relationships, as far as the man being the head of the household, I mean, there are, you, you can still implement some feminism or womanism in that particular context because, again, it means different things to different people because what's interesting is, Sometimes we'll see some Christian women and some Muslim women and, you know, and across the board, I don't want to forget anybody else, but they will say that they're feminists as well. And so they have their own take on it. And that's what goes into what you said. You hear these different definitions. And so, you know, I mean, I guess feminism means whatever it means to you. And so you have to customize and tailor it for whatever, but, you know, again, different people have these different definitions. You have some feminists, I hear, that feel as though women should not take self-defense classes to defend themselves, and I mean, I get that. I get that because, you know, we should be teaching men 
not to grope, not to rape, not to assault, not to harass. You know, that should be the main focus. But then you have another group of women that are saying that women should be able to defend themselves and that they should be prepared because this type of things happen. And so, you know, you have these different groups like every community with different, you know, belief systems. Well, when I said, like, he has a house with my mom, she did play a part, you know. He was more the provider, right? She did him in the finances. He didn't have a mistreat or anything like that. But I think I kind of hate that people use the term feminism because I think that's the wrong word to use. And then not only that, we have a younger generation coming up, and these young girls, these young girls now, they're not looking at it the way me and you are looking at it. They're looking at it, okay, well, if you can't do it for me, I'm not messing with it, right? You understand what I'm saying? And it's, it's not helping us as a, to become a unit. I think it's dividing us from dividing us. I understand the way you look at it, you understand how I look at it, but the younger generation look at it totally different. Well, see, that's the thing right there with some of these younger people. You know, and like I said, I'm proud of these babies. And, you know, I wish I was that free when I was their age. And, you know, some people don't want to be married. Some people don't want a family. You know, you have, you know, people out here that, you know, you know, you have LGBTQ families that are raising children. And so, again, with this younger generation, I'm seeing them and they're talking about things. And, you know, when I was on a bus trip last year to Cleveland and I was on a bus with some of the young people from Black Youth Project and they were talking about some things and I was like, no, I'm not ready yet. It's like, you know, so, you know, these children are advanced. But, I mean, again, you know, it's not our job to define them and what works for them. You know, and whatever works for you, dear, hey, go for it. But, you know, it's a lot more to it than just that. And I feel as though I can't necessarily do it the justice that, you know, it's due. Because, you know, when I look at a lot of this stuff, I'm looking at it from a number of different perspectives. But, I mean, if if you're happy and that's, you know, what you believe and that's how you're working it, I say, you know, my hat's off to you, you know, and my mother was not a feminist. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Like, I'm not going to let nobody hold me down. That's right. And I encourage any woman, do what you want to do. Don't ever let a man hold you back either. If he don't support you, then you don't need to be with us. You know, that's how I look at it. But I just kind of, you know, just kind of get your definition of it. And I understand what you're mm-hmm. saying, and I don't have a problem with that at all. Right, because it's fluid as far as the definition of it. I mean, even with, you know, some of these women that are, you know, veteran feminists or womanists, you know, they have different definitions. And like I said, I know I didn't do it any justice. And, you know, I'm just looking at it because, you know, my mother my mother was not what you would call a traditional feminist. I don't even think she would call herself a feminist per se. But um, when my father died, you know, my mom, I will tell you this, she raised us. We never were homeless. We never were hungry. She got out. She went to work. She went to school. She went to church. 
she encouraged us and she told us that we could be whatever we wanted to be. And, you know, her main goal was to make sure that she raised strong children. And so, you know, she had one son and then the rest of us are girls and, or women. And it's just, it's amazing. But, yeah, but, no, I mean, you know, I thank you for calling in. And, you know, I want you to continue to listen. But, again, feminism, womanism is, you know, however you define it for yourself. And you have some people out here that, you know, probably would have engaged you a little bit differently. But with me, I just feel as though, you know, like you said, you're just starting to learn about it. You're reading these definitions. You're trying to figure out what it is, what it means to you. Are you one? And if you, if so, you know, what, you know, you embrace. And so, you know, my thing is here to tell you, to encourage you to continue to, you know, reach toward whatever goals that you may have. And the fact that, you know, you're saying that if, if your mate is not, encouraging and supporting you that they should you know you're on the road and so I just want to encourage you to continue to read to continue to question things you know the status quo continue to question patriarchy and to understand you know what's happening out here do your research so you know I'm going to give you credit you know you're trying and you're putting it out there and so you know I'm happy and I thank you for calling I appreciate you Okay. Thank you for listening. I'm going to put you on hold, okay? Thank you. Okay. And so, you guys, you know, you heard that call. And so, like I said, you know, encourage these young people to go out and read. Some of them, you know, you know, they may not want to participate or call themselves a feminist or a womanist, and that's fine. You know, that's their choice. And, you know, you have different definitions of it out here, but I just want to keep her lifted up and encouraged and just let her know she can do whatever she wants to do that, you know, she does not have to live by other people's definition of who she is. She gets to define that, and only she gets to define that. Why? Because she's the one that has to live that life. That's her life. And so, you know, again, you know, going back to what I was saying about the feminist community, and, you know, you have some racism over there, and believe it or not, you even have some sexism over there. And it's really interesting when you factor in, you know, some of the male feminists, and, you know, and then when it's black male feminists, you know, what's so interesting is when you have black male feminists dealing with black feminists, you know, women feminists, you know, sometimes, you know, that patriarchy peaks out. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> that sexism, you know, peaks out. And sometimes that male privilege. And, you know, we did a show talking about black male privilege. And so, you know, you just have to look at this. and You end up looking at it from a number of different perspectives. And so that's why you see some of the conflicts why you see some of the headbutts, but, you know, again, you know, these are the people, and I'm talking about white feminists specifically, you know, they want to uphold, you know, a lot of the freedom fighters and, you know, that were out here in the black community that were getting beat upside the head, had guns and bayonets, you know, shoved in their faces and dogs and being spit on and smoked, you know, uh, being blown in their faces 
because you got to go back and look up SNCC, S-N-C-C, and look up, you know, Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer and how, you know, they were some of the people that helped to put SNCC together. And what and they people were being trained on how to be abused and, and what to look for, and you know, and all of this. And so, you know, when I hear some of these white people out here trying to invoke the names of civil rights icons and legends, and some of these same people, you know, I'm looking at them, and some of them are just racist, and it's not all of them. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you, and you deal with it. And you're looking at them it's like you want us to uphold your victimhood. You want us to recognize your victimhood, but you've thrown us under the bus. And that's happened in a lot of cases. Like I said, I've mentioned Florence Kennedy. Go and look her up and look at what happened when she took a law case on and, you know, the white feminists weren't happy, like Gloria Steinem and all of them. So go and look that up because I can't, you know, I'm not really going to go into it a lot because I still got a couple of aisles I need to go down. But, you know, there are some inter- internal struggles and infighting within some of these communities. And, you know, there are a lot of issues that need to be addressed. We have another call. Let's bring them into the conversation. 415, may I ask who's calling? Hello. 415? Uh, Hi. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. This is Jeremiah calling. How are you today? I'm well, and yourself, Jeremiah? I'm good. I'm good. I was just listening to the ladies speak. Ladies speak. And it sounds good. I like what I'm hearing. Oh, well, excellent. Well, thank yeah, you yeah. so much. You're welcome. Um, I was also looking at your... Um, your your title start your own civil rights movement i wanted to just comment on two things if i could regarding mm-hmm. civil rights uh and then regarding um race so i'm in northern california you guys i'm in i'm in i'm in uh san francisco city territory uh, mm-hmm. so just wanted to give that out um i'm a hard working guy i got the, i got some work this morning it's sunday I do work, I have my own job, whatever, so I'm out here doing my thing. And right right now, really, the civil rights that I've been learning about don't apply to to white people, really, if you think about it, unless they claim to be U.S. citizens, I mean, uh, citizens of the United States under the 14th Amendment, because, you know, when we're talking about civil rights, what we're talking about is the right for a, a person of color to tr- go tr- you know, from state to state in this nation and, uh-huh. and, and conduct themselves in an ordinary fashion and do it freely without having to be molested on their way. So, uh, you know, like that is the civil rights, okay, that is 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 all about the 14th amendment and the constitution so there is a huge misconception of what civil rights really are now the the other the other issue i've been studying law for six years also Uh 41 41 and uh let's see the other issue was with race no one here is racist because 
we love each other and we we have a need to um, we always help each other when it comes to like what we need money and, and, and immediate things like immediate having immediate property like possessions people that go without you know like I don't know any human being that wouldn't help another human being okay so I don't believe in racism but the media would like us all the media would like us all to believe that it, it exists and what it is defined as is something to do with the color of your skin but in the legal world racism has more to do with property than it does anything else now in in closing i just want to say that there are no white people on the planet and the reason i can say that is because it was a made-up term just like black people there are no black people on the planet um the all right so let me address Go ahead. Let me address some of what you said here. So, you know, where you're coming from as far as the race issue is concerned, you're talking about how it's a social construct and that it has value because we assign value to it. And so let me ask you one question. Are you a libertarian by chance? Jeremiah, you know, are you a libertarian? I, I, with, with all due respect, I do not mm-hmm. wish to bring uh, my political position to the forefront with you know and I do respect the, uh, the you know your you know your question of course um, I I have political tendencies but I do not wish to um, you know mm-hmm. divulge Okay no that's fine because the reason why I asked if you were a libertarian is because the same arguments that you're bringing up I've had those same types of conversations with black libertarians over the years and even some white libertarians. But, I mean, I understand what you're saying about, you know, race being a social construct. I agree with that. However, it has value because value has been assigned to it in America. And that value was assigned to it by white people. And it's, it's, it's a wedge issue. And we understand why it's there, why they feel that it's needed. And while I understand that you say that you do not see racism, that you don't believe in racism, again, it 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 has reared its ugly head in this country, and it continues to do so. So we're living under a system that was created to benefit said white people, you know, and again, that Venn diagram gets bigger and bigger as they pull more, you know, honorary and ethnic white people into, you know, their little circle. Oh, wait a sec. Can I correct you? No, wait a sec. I need to correct you on something here. There are Mm -hmm. no white people. There are only mixed breeds like me. See, I look white, but I'm Scottish and Hungarian, Okay. My skin and, tone is but, white, is lighter. There, you can't say right. white people but because again, it doesn't exist. So, yes, the, I can. the only I mean, yes, I'm Jewish. It you put it this way. Put it this way. In the United I'll... States, and, <laughs> and again, as I'm saying here, I am not the one who made up these rules. I am just abiding by the rules that have been put in place. 
and well, in the this book. country, but um, again, it's called the Constitution. In the Constitution, it limits yeah. me, you know, as far as who and what I am. If I'm a whole person or something. you know what, you brought up a very good point. Maybe that's why we need a constitutional convention is to get rid of those words like white and stuff like that. That is possible, you know, but again, as I've stated before, it's been given value in this country. And when you say that there are no white people, again, I understand perfectly what you're saying, and I actually agree with you in theory. But in practicality, in real life, you know, there are people, different groups of people that fall into the white category. And again, as I've discussed on this show, even within the white community or the white Venn diagram, there is a hierarchy to that because some whites are more white than others. And so, you know, or more, you know, uh, privileged than others. And so, I mean, that's a whole different conversation. But, you know, and I want to go on and I want to talk about some of the other things. But, again, you know, I'll acknowledge that race is a social construct and that it's been given value and that we allow it to continue to have value. But what the last thing I will say about that is if we're going to deconstruct and dismantle this racial hierarchy, it has to be at the hands of white people. They have to do it. Why? Because they created it. <laughs> and, and, and that's true. Can we, we, can we, we say create race? I agree. Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, it, could, it would have to be at the hands. I'll agree with you, but only on the condition that, the, that everyone worked together at this. And, 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 oh, and yeah. that, you know, like white, white, it's not white necessarily, but people of less melanated skin tone. <laughs> you know what? Okay, I'll go with that. But I mean, yes, it's it's you know that's going to be something that we're going to have to work at together. You know, but the at the forefront of it, doing the hardest and the most work, will have to be the people who benefit from this system because the system has been designed to benefit one set of people and to, you know, disenfranchise another set of people. So, I mean, I'm there. I'm with you. And so I need to move on. But thank you for calling in. And I but can you address the race engagement. issue, though? Because he, mm-hmm. when you, when I know we were talking about white. No, I thank you so much also. But I know we were talking about white. But the, the issue is race has to do with property, not, not color of skin. And there's a confusion there. Education, you were talking about, we all need to be educated, and I think it's going to be up to the people that want to take, grab the baton and run. That's who I'm talking to. That's who you're talking to. And see, the thing is, is that, all right, so we're gonna, I'm going to engage you on that a little bit, and then really I have to finish the last part here. But when you talk about race being about, you know, land, it's more, you know, some of it is about land and some of it is about um, let's just say it's more than land. It's economic stability because land is one factor into that, but you also have employment, wealth generating, and, you know, a number of different factors that go into that. And this, this is why I encourage people to go and read history. And I understand when you're when you say coming from a legal 
standpoint because, yeah, and I mean, if you go back and you look at some of these race riots, especially what happened in Tulsa, Rosewood, and Wilmington, what happened is they chased and killed all the, either killed a lot of the black people and chased the rest of them out. And they stole the land that these people had acquired, you know, kicked them out of office. And it was just a number of things happening. But when you see, when you look at the big picture of it, it's about economic stability because even during the time of slavery, you would have the, you know, the, the, the white, the poor whites who would get angry and upset and attack the slaves because the slaves were doing the jobs for free. And these were jobs that they once had, you know, they were being paid minimal, but they were being paid something. And it's, it's a lot more to it than about land contracts. And, you know, that's a part of it, but, you know, we have to look at it in its totality. And so, you know, it's just really interesting. But again, like I said, you know, I thank you for calling in. And there's a lot more to it than that. And we just don't really have the time to really get into it the way that, you know, Jeremiah wanted to. And again, thank you for calling Jeremiah and the young woman that called earlier. We appreciate it. But, you know, again, I've said what I needed to say about the feminist movement. But, you know, I'm going to come back to you. You know, again, we're going to have conversations like this even in the future, because there are some things that I actually want to readdress. But now, you know, and so what's interesting is, you know, when Jeremiah brought up about civil rights, there are different types of civil rights. And so, again, you know, as far as the civil rights movement in and of itself, different groups can have their own civil rights movement. They may not call it a civil rights movement, because even when, when the LGBTQ community was out here, you know, it was called the gay rights community or movement and just a number of different names. Because even with the civil rights movement, some people call it the black power movement. Some people call it both and just a number of different things. So, again, go out and read and educate yourself on these things. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's really interesting. So my problem is is that you can call your civil rights movement whatever you want, but I have a problem when some of these communities still have sexism, racism, you know, xenophobia and, you know, homophobia and all of those things happening. You're not addressing the fundamental issues. And then you get angry when people of color do not support you in the capacity that you want them to support you. And what's so interesting is, you know, with some of you, you may not even recognize that you're doing this, but you want us to carry you and push you over the top so that you can reach your goal. And then you turn around and, you know, we have our hand up, like help us up. And you're like, no, that's not how that works. You got to figure out how to get up here, you know, on your own. And, you know, we've seen a lot of that. And so, again, that's one of the reasons why, you, you know, some of us have a really hard time following behind some of these specific movements. And so, again, you know, last week, and we had the Reason Rally, you know, the um, secular atheist community had the Reason Rally, and the attendance, well, it was the attendance, you know, it was a lot different than the rally that they had in 2012. And what's interesting is even within the atheist community, you know, they, they like to claim moral superiority 
over believers. They like to, and I've had these conversations and arguments, you know, because I used to go back and forth and debate with religious people and non-religious people. And I look at this, I see this from a couple of different standpoints. And, you know, during the Reason Rally, one of the so-called atheist leaders invoked the words of Malcolm, I'm sorry, of uh, Martin Luther King, talking about, you know, having a dream, you know, and, and again, Barack Obama, the audacity to have a dream. And so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this and, you know, reading it because I didn't listen to the speech. You know, I just read some of the transcripts and and I've talked about this before, and you all know I have a major problem with this. And so within the secular atheist community, they say they're having a civil rights movement. Okay, I'm fine with you saying that you have a civil rights movement because you are, you know, working toward, you know, having your civil rights. You know, and again, in this community, it's really about all the dude bros, you know, so the white men. So, you know, again, this oppression thing is hard, and they want their regular white guy status back, and a lot of this is political grandstanding because they want to run for office, but in in some cases, they're not able to because it is stipulated specifically that atheists cannot run for particular offices. And so that is where you have them talking about, you know, the separation of church and state and putting together these political action committees and trying to galvanize, you know, the secular community to you know, support them in what they're trying to do. And so, again, you know, everybody has a dream. And for some of you, your dreams are an absolute nightmare for the rest of us in one respect or another, if not in totality. But, you know, again, you, I've seen people in this community compare themselves to Martin Luther King, you know, Rosa Parks, and a number of other notables, civil rights notables. And I've had a problem with it from day one. This should not come as a surprise to anyone. But instead of saying, you know, in trying to model yourself or trying to basically convince people to see this through your eyes that your issues are just as pressing and oppressing as what people in the black and brown communities are dealing with. That's not true. That is not true. And so I get angry when I see them, you know, in, you know, invoking the name of Rosa Parks. Really? Using the words of Martin Luther King. Ha! You know, and it's like, you have a bunch of people. Why don't you go and quote Madeline O'Hare, you know, and quote Hitchens? Why aren't you talking about them in your speech? And especially since, you know, some of you guys idolize those particular people. But, you know, it does not necessarily resonate, you know, in America. And so you're trying to capitalize off of a movement that, you know, people die for. 
And it's not just black and brown people. There were white people that were out here with us. And there were white people who died. And there were white people whose lives were ruined. But still you, you were able to remain white and still enjoy some of the privileges in many cases. And what's happening in the secular community is not anywhere near on par with what's happening in black and brown, yellow and red communities. Nowhere near it. And you don't get to do that. And, you know, what's so interesting is there was an article that came out yesterday, and basically they were talking about how hate speech, H-A-T-E, hate speech is the secular equivalent to blasphemy. So I'm not going to really get into that today, but I concur. And, you know, you can say whatever you want. You have the First Amendment right to say whatever you want. But you need to understand that there are consequences if you say the wrong thing. And some of you are learning that the hard way. But anyway, you know, I have an issue with, you know, what they're doing. They have not addressed racism, the sexism, the homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, all of that, because it was only last year that you had some of these same people from the secular community out in Texas surrounding a mosque, guns out. And then some of these same people who are Islamophobias, not everybody, but we got more than enough to go around that are Islamophobic, you know, up here quoting Muhammad Ali. How the hell are you quoting him and, and, and you have a problem with who he is? His, his faith was a big part of who he was and what he believed in. And so, you know, I just find that interesting. And, you know, I've made a couple of little snarky comments, but, but it's true. And, you know, the one thing about Muhammad Ali, when he was able to communicate, white people, for the most part, not all of them, you know, I got to say that because I don't want to get all these hashtags tweeted at me, not all white people. I know, but there were enough, you know, that hated him for being confident, that hated, that hated him for being him, his authentic self. And so when he was silenced by the Parkinson's disease, now they like him. And now they want to herald him. And now they want to brand him. And, you know, I wore my unapologetically black T-shirt yesterday in honor of Muhammad Ali because that was one thing he was. He was black. He knew it, and he loved it. And what's so interesting, one of the articles that I posted on my wall, it was talking about how people of color mainly, but, I mean, you know, white people too, how we've been trained to be humble, but especially people of color. And when they say, you know, when they want you to show some humility and to be humble, that means they want you to be quiet and to go along to get along. And I see that in, you know, all the communities that I've talked about today and some that I haven't even gotten to. And, you know, with the secular community and, you know, what's happening you know, they are now blaming the lack of attendance on social justice warriors and the feminists. And again, I would say don't fall for it. 
And what I mean by that is those are the most vulnerable groups within that particular community. You know, so again, they 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 want to blame it on all of these people who want to be included in this community. I've even seen some say that they knew that, you know, trouble would arise as soon as all of these different groups of people became a part of the community. And so, again, you know, when we talk about social justice and feminism, they call it mission drift. And so now because of the lack of attendance, now they're pointing the finger at the social justice warriors and the feminists. Why? Because those are the easiest groups to target, as I've stated before. And I would say don't fall for it because what's happening within this community is one of the reasons why they're targeting, you know, SJWs and feminists is because they wanted to go back to white boy politics and white men getting their white guy status back and it being white male centered. And while we go through these different changes, yes, I understand it's difficult, it's hard, it's scary. I mean, I get it. I get it. But at the same time, you know, some of these organizations, they want the numbers. They want the black members and they want the black membership fees. And, you know, many of these conferences are unaffordable. So a lot of people couldn't afford to get up to D.C. for that. And, you know, and it's, it's a lot more that goes. So you want people to pay three, four, five hundred dollars to attend your conference or table at your conference. They still have to have transportation, whether they drive or fly. They still have to have somewhere to sleep, hotel or a friend's house or what have you. And again, you know, personally, I think they're pricing folks out on purpose. And then also they want to headline it with these so-called atheist celebrities. And, you know, the whole thing is just baffling. And you know, again, humorous on my end. You know, I'm quite entertained about what I'm saying and amused at watching all these people, you know, walk in circles trying to figure out how to justify it. But, you know, again, for you people of color that happen to be a part of this secular atheist community, what I am going to say to you next you need to pay attention to because this is true. You're being leveraged for political power. And one of the reasons why that, you know, rally was being held was because um, they were trying to show the politicians that they had of these politicians to work with in, you know, the secular community and how we're growing and, you know, it's becoming more diverse. And so basically, you know, again, you're a number. And many of you, you don't even realize that, especially when you start espousing some of the same words as these dude bros, you know, they have you out here doing their job for them. And you have some people in this community, black, brown, red, yellow, who agree with some of the dude bros, but it all boils down to the fact that they want the same type of power and influence as the dude bros. So they're going to go along with it so that they can be on a dude bros good side and and benefit from it, while at the same time knowing damn well that even within this community that they're not 
putting together any programs that many people of color will enjoy. Um, in, in addition to that, not addressing many of the issues that we deal with and face on a day-to-day, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And so, again, like I said, you know, two very different Americas and two very different perceptions of what's happening. And so, again, let's go back to that separation of church and state. You have them saying that that is their mission in this particular community. However, how many separation of church and state cases have you seen? I've seen them file cases to tear down a memorial that families have put up, you know, at the accident scene or what have you, where some of their loved ones, you know, happen to have died. Oh, so you want to tear that down, and you want to hand out atheist manuals, you know, um, at the schools. And, you know, you want to do things like that. And... You know, what does that have to do with the separation of church and state? And if you go and you do some research, in all actuality, (laughs) you know, a lot of the separation of church and state issues are being dealt with by religious organizations. Go and look it up. And, you know, you have some of these people following these lawsuits because now they have a 501c3, and they want to have all of the same luxuries that, you know, that the religious leaders have. You know, your home can be under that 501c3, your bills, your furniture, the pool boy, the gardener, all of that can be put under there, and you're not taxed for it. And so, again, I need for you all to understand and pay attention to how you're being leveraged and in what they're trying to attain. And you have these different organizations that are claiming that they are, you know, they they want diversity. And some of them have put together these Black Lives Matter panels and, you know, that was only after, you know, a couple of the dude boys gave it a thumbs up. Because when we started reporting on it initially, You know, a lot of the dude bros, they were upset, and they didn't want us talking about it. They didn't want us addressing it. They didn't want to talk about it or address it because, number one, they didn't understand it. But also, they know their base, and this is the thing. And for some of you that are out there shaking your head, no, you know good and damn well what I'm about to say is true, and a lot of what I just finished saying was true, you know, and basically – with some of the, you know, people of color, even within this community, when you have certain organizations do a write-up on that person and they put the information out there, go and read the comments. Some of the, some of the members of these organizations are extremely racist, sexist, et cetera, and more. And, you know, when when they have to hire an intern to spend half the day deleting racist comments, what is that saying to you? And these same organizations are afraid to address these issues. Why? Because these are the people that are paying for the memberships. These are the people that are paying their salaries. These are the people that are keeping them popular. You better pay attention to what's going on around you. Because it's for gain. 
They're trying to, yet again, get their regular white boy status back. They want to run for office. They want to have, you know, these different luxuries. While at the same time, you know, I've explained about how religion, whether it's Christianity or Islam or what have you, how it is interwoven into the very fabric of the black and brown communities. And this is true. You know, and even with the red and yellow communities in this country, but I'm specifically talking about black and brown communities. And, you know, again, you know, with this separation of church and state, I mean, I get it. You should be able to run for political office. You know, I'm not trying to debate that. You know, if you want to run for it, go for it. But, you know, in in my particular community, that is where things get a little dangerous. You know, we haven't had this conversation yet, and it's one of the conversations that I've put on the back burner because, you know, I don't think people are ready to hear it or to talk about it, but we're going to have to talk about it and talk about how basically if, if certain people had their way within the secular community, the black atheist community would be at war with the black community right now. And, you know, that's, and when I say that the powers that be, I'm talking about black and white. And what's so interesting is, you know, some of these same people are the ones that are angry because, you know, we totally changed the narrative. And that's not what they wanted. And so I just want you guys, like I said, you need to pay more attention to what's happening around you, pay attention to what's being said. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, some of the things that we say causes discomfort for certain leaders and organizations because they have to answer some uncomfortable questions and some of their members are offended because, you know, they have to face some very unpleasant and uncomfortable realities and question themselves. And sometimes when you're in that mode, you end up going down a rabbit hole. And, you know, you don't see any light. You just know you're free falling. And so it's just it's really interesting. But, yeah, I don't think any of these particular movements should be claiming, um, you know, Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, you know, Martin Luther King, Fannie Lou Hamer, you know, Rosa Parks, Ella, you know, Ella Baker, Bayard Rustin, none of them, none of them, you know, and the way that I see it right now is if you want to continue to claim them, I mean, I can't stop you from doing that, but we're out here and we're marching and this grassroots movement is still moving forward. You know, I can't wait to see some of you atheists and agnostics and humanists and whatever you may call yourself. Can't wait to see you out here on the front line. Can't wait to see you on the sideline or the back of the line. You know, if you want to use our legends and the people that were, you know, killed and hurt and maimed in a number of different ways, then you need to be out here marching with us. And we haven't seen that. And to be honest with you, I don't believe you're going to see it. What I see is a bunch of people that want to get online and have these conferences to pontificate about why they hate religion and, and you know, and can't even really expound on why. And so, again, 
It's extremely important that you guys pay attention. And it's a hell of a lot more that I want to say, you know. But what I'm saying is before you get up here and start telling me about your dreams, you know, have you recognized any of our dreams? Have you recognized what the hell is really happening, you know, in in communities of color? And these so-called, you know, um, leaders of color within these different, you know, communities, I mean – is it about celebrity, popularity, money? Because you got a lot of people in these communities, they're only in it for the money. They don't give a shit about it one way or the other. And it's so interesting because with some of these people, I'm looking, and trust me, I know what I know. You don't know what I know, but I know what I know. And so it's going to be interesting when some of that information starts coming out Because some of these people, yeah, you've kind of fucked over the wrong folks, and they're itching to tell that story. And so, you know, I'm just sitting back watching and waiting because it's like, this is like a damn soap opera to me. But again, you know, you got these people within these different communities that want their regular white people status back, whether they're male or female, and that is what they want. And history has shown us that in most cases, you know, we end up getting thrown under the bus, and they may allow, you know, a handful of people of color to excel, but trust me, these people have to make compromises to get that. But in addition to that, you know, these same powers that be know that they have control over some of these said people. And so, again, You know, again, we tell you to question everything, question everything, question everything. And it's extremely important that you get out here, you you lift your voice, you take your agency back, and again, you have to define who you are and what you are. And like I said, with a lot of these communities, you know, there's a lot of fluidity. And so, you know, again, with the caller that we had earlier when the young woman was talking about feminism, you know, I don't feel that I have a right to define feminism for her or anyone else. I define it for myself and and my role in it. And I still have a lot of learning and a lot of growing to do. You know, I acknowledge that. But over the past five years with this show, I've done a lot of growing. And so I know some people are sitting back there and they're like, but wait a minute, you haven't addressed, you know, the Christians and their so-called hijacking of the civil rights movement. Well, I don't necessarily see it that way anymore because once you know better, you do better. And, you know, I've done some reading on it, and Dr. Otis Moss from Trinity United Church here in Chicago, he stated that 13% of the black church supported Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement. And Dr. Penn, you know, he had an estimate of a little bit, you know, less than 13%. But, I mean, look at those numbers. You know, so it was only, you know, a, a minor faction of churches 
that supported Martin Luther King. Now, these are just churches. I'm not talking about the black population or the brown or the yellow, red, white populations that supported them. Because there are some people that are sitting in church now. The church won't talk about, you know, different issues, but there are members that are in certain communities, and they're out there, and they're out there doing the work. So they understand that it has to go beyond that particular ideology, whatever it may be. And even over here in the atheist community, you all have turned atheism into a religion. And, yes, I know you're going to be mad because I said it, but it's true. You know, and just look at some of the cult-like behavior. Raina and I, we've been calling this out for four years, at least, because I was calling it out even before then. I remember talking about, you know, aggressive atheism and militant atheists, and they're out there. And all I have to say to you is there is going to come a day when you will learn the truth. And, I mean, I was getting ready to go in on something, but you know what? I'm I'm saying no to myself because I'm just not – I just don't want to deal with some of the backlash yet. But it's coming, you know, but what I will say is – you know, there are people out here that are doing the real work. You know, um, yesterday, you know, I was able to celebrate with some of the families who have been impacted by the policing of black and brown bodies, state violence. And, you know, the struggle is real. And these activists that are out here on the street every day, you know, waking up, eating, drinking, you know, living, loving this life that we have in in the middle of this struggle. It's hard work. And it's more to it than talking on a podcast. It's more to it than writing a blog. It's more to it than you're going to conferences and conventions of like-minded people pontificating about this and preaching to the choir while you're not willing to come out here and help. And many of you, too many of you, are willing to throw money at the problem but not get out here and help. And so, you know, you're going to continue having people like me out here pointing the finger at you. And, yes, I'm out there. I'm helping. Now the thing is is that I do have medical limitations. There are some things that I cannot do, but I'm actually worth more alive than dead. So, you know, I can't go on a 10-mile march. That's not going to happen, you know, but I can meet you at the 5-mile mark with a big old, you know, trunk full of ice water and Gatorade so you can replenish yourself and meet you at the end of that march. And so, I mean, there's work to do. It's hard work. You know, you're putting yourself at risk because again, there are there are people who benefit from what's happening. There are people who benefit and profit from poverty, from anti-blackness, from fear. And of course, from capitalism. And so, you know, this is why we take on these issues, and it's a lot more because I was planning on digging in a few of your asses today, you know, but I didn't get enough sleep last night. But, you know, um, guys, pay attention. 
ask questions. The people that you are following, like I said, if they're not growing, then it's dead. Something that does not grow is dead. And, you know, just looking at all of this, it it kills me. Because I remember when I was in the military, there was this one white woman who was singing this offensive song that had, you know, the N-word in it. And her excuse was, you know, she was married to a black man and had biracial children, so it's okay if she said it. Well, I'll just tell you this, she never said it again after that. And you have some people in this community, in these communities, that may, you know, date black, you know, they like dark meat, if you will. That does not give you the right to, you know, basically trample over the legacies of people that have paid with their lives. They've paid the price. You have not paid the price. And I'm offended by it, and I'm going to continue talking about it, and there's really not a damn thing you can do about it. So, hey, that is how it goes. So, again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Guys, have a wonderful Sunday. Look forward to talking to you next week. Take care, everybody.